Hey everyone, this is Sebastian, and this is your Meanwhile in Canada News Briefing. Via press progress, Ontario PC leadership candidate. School children are too distracted by anal sex to focus on math. Via press progress, okay? Now bear with me. Uh, just when you thought Ontario's progressive conservatives had hit rock bottom, the Tories still find a way to dig themselves into a deeper hole. It was bad enough when disgraced former leader Patrick Brown brazenly claimed in an interview Thursday he never actually resigned four weeks ago only to see his half-baked story go up in smoke Friday morning when the Toronto Star published a four-week-old audio recording of Brown telling MPPs he was in fact resigning. Now along comes Ontario PC leadership candidate Tanya Granick allen head of the hardline social conservative group Parents as First Educators on PATH. During Thursday's PC leadership debates, Granick Allen implored moderator Steve Pekin to let her talk about the sex ed, describing it as her number one priority. Pressed by Pekin on what other ideas she has in mind to improve education since sex ed isn't going to improve math scores, Granick Allen replied, Sure, it will definitely stop distracting students and maybe they could focus a bit more on math if they weren't talking about anal sex in the classroom. Granick Allen's advocacy group promotes a number of opinions about Ontario's sex ed curriculum that are demonstrably false or blatantly homophobic. At last week's Manning Centre conference in Ottawa, the right-wing think tank gave Granick Allen's group a table to distribute leaflets that claim sex ed contributes to the spread of HIV, AIDS, abortion, and emotional distress. <sighs> really? That's all I can say. Really? So parents, talk to your kids. If they're not doing well in math, it's because they're talking about anal sex in school. Via Narcity, this Toronto escape room puts you inside a plane that's about to crash, and it's intense. It's like Final Destination in real life. I don't know what's appealing about this. I used to work for airlines. Why would you want to be in this place? Looking for a unique escape room to do this weekend? Roundabout in Toronto has got you covered. The company has created a unique escape room that takes you off the ground and into the skies. Final Destination is the name of the game, and it takes place in an aircraft that's destined to crash. The pilots and flight attendants have abandoned the plane. <laughs> how? Like with a parachute? So it's up to you and your friends to figure out how to get out before it's too late. Remembering the materials of your favorite physics class, you estimate that at this height the plane will only continue to glide for about 45 minutes, reads the game description. You must find the parachute and escape before the plane crashes. The escape room, the escape room has a 35% success rate, so you know you're in for a challenge. Maybe the only plane-themed escape room in the city, and according to reviews, the set design is fantastic, complete with the seats and overhead bins. Tickets are about $26 per person, and you can book your game online. Visit Roundabout Canada's website for more details. Now, this isn't an ad. I just found it really peculiar that that, that they made an escape room out of a, an airplane that's about to crash. Why in the hell would you want to do that? Um, so, the, the, the crew's already bailed? I don't know. I, I, but I don't think they'd abandon the airplane. It's like every man for himself and grab parachutes and hop out the, the, the door? I don't know. Interesting. Uh, but I think my panic would just sit in. Yeah. 
I mean, if you go ahead, do it, and then let me know how it goes. But I, you'll never see me inside a airplane going down. <laughs> via Calgary Herald. Vulcan, Vulcan, Alberta, amends town budget to buy Star Trek uniforms for councillors at $620 apiece. Vulcan's town councillors say their signature fashion statement is approaching the final frontier, and replacing Star Trek themed jackets will cost more than $4,000. The town of 2,000 people, some 130 kilometers southeast of Calgary, has wrapped up much of its identity in Star Trek mythology since it shares the moniker of the homeworld of the iconic Mr. Spock. And that means its mayor and six town councillors often sport ceremonial United Federation of Planets jackets, which they wore last November in Calgary at the annual Alberta Urban Municipalities Association Convention. On Monday, council approved plans to replace their aging jackets, some of which have passed down from council to council for years, including one that's 17 years old, almost old enough to drink in Alberta. Vulcan resident Catelyn, Caitlin Berta told council the cost of each jacket will be about $620 for a total of about $4,340 for the entire wardrobe change. Councillor Lyle Magnuson said he did believe the cost was a lot of money when he first looked at the estimate, but did like that a local resident is making the jackets. I was surprised by the cost of doing it, said Magnuson, adding later during the discussion that the jackets will be of good quality. Mayor Tom Grant said he didn't believe Berta's per hour rate of $20 was out of line. I did talk to a couple other seamstresses, and they thought this was very reasonable, he said. Councillor Lorna Armstrong said councillors have received positive comments on the jackets wherever they go. Council agreed to amend its 2018 budget to include the cost of the new uniforms. Live long and prosper, I guess? Via Daily Hive, Calgary wins Lifetime Achievement Award for Wasting Money on Public Art. So proud of my hometown. The City of Calgary has just received a Lifetime Achievement Award, though it's not one that you'll see displayed at City Hall anytime soon. At the 20th Annual Teddy Awards, an event put on by the Canadian Taxpayers Federation CTF, to highlight the best of the worst in government waste from the past year, Calgary notoriously, notoriously controversial public art program took home a golden trophy. The event was hosted by CTF Federal Director Aaron Woodrick who said that the city of Calgary was more than deserving of the recognition. Art can be a wonderful thing, but Calgary's long track record of expensive artistic flops highlights the perils of mixing art and government, said Woodrick at the Parliament Hill event. What Woodrick described as a gaff-prone program had received municipal Teddy nominations for the past two years running, with examples of artistic waste including The Bearing, The Wishing Well, The Beaufort Towers, and of course, Traveling Light the giant blue ring that cost the city nearly $500,000. $500,000. I can see that thing on the from the highway. There's nowhere to walk. It's, it's like the worst place before it ever. It is locally known as the giant blue ring. So uh, when you scream by doing a hundred on Deerfoot, $500,000. We're pleased the city is currently reviewing the policy, said Woodrick at the award ceremony, but it needs to be dumped. Other award winners this year included the outdoor skating rink on Parliament Hill and Montreal's Formula E race.
$500,000. Never mind the whole Bullford Towers thing. That's still... People are still upset about that. <sighs> yeah, it needs to be reviewed. <laughs> Via Global News Calgary. Calgary teenage fight clubs are popping up on social media, prompting a warning from police. Video shows both boys and girls fighting with crowds of other kids cheering them on. The Instagram accounts have been removed several times, but new ones keep appearing, each time with a slightly different name. Calgary police say they aren't aware of these particular social media accounts, but called the behavior extremely appropriate and dangerous in a statement to Global News. Police warn, even if the fights are initially consensual, charges can be laid and individuals could find themselves in jail. Police recommend teens interested in fighting for sports to try martial arts, boxing, or mixed martial arts clubs in the city where there is proper equipment, supervision, and instruction. And, and safety. If you are going to start up a fight club, don't use Instagram. You're, you're breaking the, the, the first rule of fight club, which is you do not talk about fight club. Not even on Instagram. via CBC Nova Scotia, swords, throwing stars, and fake guns used for intimidation on Halifax streets. Police have collected four boxes of ancient and unusual weapons over the years. Members of Halifax Underworld have taken a liking to ancient weapons and some are using swords, throwing stars, and maces to intimidate their own. Uh, Detective Sergeant Bill Morris with the Halifax Regional Police said weapons that had their heyday in medieval Europe and ancient Japan are being used on the streets of modern-day Halifax. The weapons aren't being brought to bear on the general public, according to Morris. They're mainly being used to intimidate people already involved in criminal activity like the illegal drug trade. While many of the weapons look like they're from a fantasy movie, they're all too real and life-threatening, said Morris. It's a sharp-edged weapon that could potentially kill you or your partner or a member of the public. They're very dangerous and they're not meant to be had by people. That's what they're prohibited, he said. Injuries from these weapons can confuse police and medical staff as they try and piece together a crime. People, people get beat, they get stabbed, and until you actually get the weapon, you don't know what it is, Morris said. But a lot of times when we do end up solving stuff, it comes back and you look and it's stuff you don't expect. And literally the picture right after it looks like Wolverine type claws. Morris believes that many of the odd weapons police confiscate were bought online and shipped into the province, while a handful are homemade. Almost weekly, police find weapons when they search homes and vehicles for illegal drugs, said Morris. Occasionally, officers find ancient weapons and fake firearms mixed with the more conventional knives and guns. Other times, police are called after a member of the public spots someone brandishing an unusual weapon, or police find weapons like brass knuckles and throwing stars when arresting people for their crimes. Yeah, and in the article, there's like a mace, there's like a, like a medieval-looking battle axe. It's stuff that looks straight out of war, uh, Warcraft. So, um... Just uh, watch out on the streets of Halifax, where you might get attacked by a mace, uh, or a batleth, or a throwing star, or, uh, or, or, or like a brass knuckle shaped like a, like, like a, like a kitty knife. So just be careful out there, folks. Via CBC News Calgary, America's most wanted deadbeat dad arrested in the Calgary area. Now this is a bit of a long one, so just, uh, just uh, bear with me here. 
After eluding authorities for nearly 20 years, a man considered America's most wanted deadbeat dad is behind bars, thanks to a cherry pit and the investigative efforts of a Bears Paul Alberta restaurateur. Joseph Stroop, who was, who's been living under the name Jupe Cousteau, was detained by Canada Border, Border Services Agency and transported to the U.S. on February 15th. He is in custody and will stand trial on charges of violating child support. According to the U.S. Department of Health and Human Services website, Stroop owes more than $560,000 in child support. In 1989, he was ordered to pay $100 a month for his four children, but told the court he was unemployed and medically unable to work, so the payments were reduced to $14 a month. But in 1996, the U.S. court learned Stroop had been operating a successful internet business, which he sold for more than $2 million U.S. The child support order was then modified, but he continued to fail to pay, and then an arrest warrant was issued in 1998. He had been on the run ever since. Now here's where the story gets weirder. Living in the Calgary area, Stroop had become somewhat of a regular at the Bear's Den, a now-closed restaurant just outside of Calgary's city limits on the northwest in the community of Bearspaw, and was well-liked by the staff. Just over-the-top charming, said Scott Winograd, the restaurant's former general manager and proprietor, but that changed in November following an unusual request by Stroop. One day, out of the blue, he ordered a cherry Coke and he wanted eight maraschino cherries in it, which is just bizarre. That just doesn't happen, said Winograd. But the customer always being right, Staff put the drink together and served it, served it to Stroop. About a minute later, he calls the server over and he's clutching his jaw and says, I bit into a pit and broke some dental work, as he holds his pit up, said Winograd. Staff at the restaurant became suspicious as maraschino cherries generally don't have pits. He held up this pit that looked like a regular cherry, he said Winograd. Fair enough. My supervisor handled it and the next day this gentleman comes in with forms from the dental office. It looked sketchy because it was all handwritten forms. It didn't look official by any means, but he had his name on it and his birthday. Worried about being sued for damages, Winograd said he typed the name into Google, which led him to a Facebook page started by one of Stroop's sons. I started following some links and got to the Department of Justice website, and sure enough, he was like the number one most wanted deadbeat dad in America. And the picture from him, of him was from 20 years ago, a spitting image. It was absolutely him. Nothing had changed, just older, hair loss, hair, glasses now, but I was sure it was him. Winograd then telephoned Stroop under the guise of wanting to settle the dental complaint and invite him to come over to the restaurant for dinner. Sure enough, he comes in a day or two later and I talk to him. He said, I wanted to be sure. I didn't want to say this might be the guy or this might not be. Once he felt sure, Winograd took down the license plate on Stroop's car and called the RCMP the next day. They didn't think they could really do anything because, because they said he's not wanted here, he's wanted in the United States, and I was quite surprised by that. So Winograd contacted the the Inspector's General Office in the U.S. Within an hour, I had the FBI, U.S. Marshals, and the Office of the Inspector General calling, wanting more information because they really wanted this guy. Stroop returned to the Bears' den a couple more times, and Winograd reported that to the American authorities. Stroop was arrested by the Canada Border Agency last week and returned to the U.S. It was the right thing to do, said Winograd. If I see something that's wrong, I'm going to stand up and say something. And that's what I did. And I hope most people would do the same thing. So there's a lesson. If you're on the lam avoiding uh, you know, child support, uh, don't try to do it, uh, an insurance scam on top of it. One to grow on, folks. Live and learn. All right, folks, and this being the the Olympics, and uh, they're about to end soon, and uh, I just wanted to leave you with a positive story from the Pyeongchang Olympics. 
via the BBC. Winter Olympics, Scott Moyer achieved peak Canada at ice hockey. These Olympics have reinforced one thing, is that Canadians love winter sports. But they are most passionate about the national sport of ice hockey. Is that, is that lacrosse? Anyways. Almost three quarters of the population watched at least part of the Stanley Cup playoffs during the 2017 NHL season. That's 26 million viewers. 26 million. We don't, I can't, I'm not going to do this entire thing in a British accent because I just I couldn't pull it off. But that's 26 million viewers. 26 million. We don't yet know the viewing figures for Thursday's Olympic women's final between Canada and the U.S., but we are betting it was up there. They also love ice dancing, due in part to Tessa Virtue and Scott Moyer, three-time Olympic gold medalists. But after their electric performance earlier in the week, we weren't sure Canadians could love Moyer more. Wrong. Now they know he loves hockey just as much as they do. He was in the crowd supporting the Canadian women in their bid for gold, endearing himself to his compatriots even more. And there's a picture from a CBC Olympics tweet that says, Scott Moyer is all of Canada right now. Scott Moyer in the Olympic uh, Canada uniform, hands outstretched, complaining to the refs about a, a failed call, beer in one hand. Uh, apparently one of many beers he had that night. The beer is relevant as Canada is one of the biggest beer drinking nations in the world. In 2016, Canadians drank an average of 77.1 liters of beer each, thus making Moyer decked out in more maple leaves than the forests of Ontario, <laughs> peak Canadian. Canada's response was amazing. There were several, several tweets about putting Scott Moyer instead of the maple leaf on the flag, uh, on the $5 bill with his hands outstretched. Uh, the other country fell in love with Scott Moyer, and clearly Scott Moyer loves Canada. So what about the match itself? The scores were level at 2-2 after five penalty shots each, but a save from America's, the U.S.'s Maddie Rooney broke hearts from British Columbia to Newfoundland. Sadly for Scott, Tessa, and all of Canada, it wasn't to be, and the USA took gold, ending Canada's 16-year Olympic reign. It didn't take long for somebody to edit Rooney's Wikipedia page, rewarding her with a position in the White House, and the Wikipedia entry says, United States Secretary of Defense. Good goldies, like wonderful goldies. I watched the match myself, and uh, um, Canada's defense was great. Uh, Zavados was amazing. Um, those ladies have nothing to be ashamed of. Uh, silver isn't what we wanted, but they fought hard. They played well. They played with enthusiasm and passion, and they have nothing to be ashamed of. I think that they represented Canada well. Meanwhile in Canada is your briefing for funny, strange, and odd news from the Great White North. Subscribe to get updated in what's happening in Canada. Meanwhile in Canada Briefing is a positive production of Hangar Cat Media.